Thank you guys so much for worshiping with us. Team, thanks for leading us. Hey, minimally, our study of John's gospel is building up some, some marathon Bible readers here at Redeemer. Like, like, come and read 55 verses for us and don't stumble once. So if you want to jump in that cycle, Dan is always looking for people who can read 55 verses. Um, we're, we're seeking you earnestly. Here at Redeemer, we are working through um, the gospel of John. Uh, the title of our series, Seeing Jesus. And the reason we've titled it that is because really what happens in this book of the Bible is the character and the person and the work of Jesus is gradually being made more and more clear. That's what's happening as we go through John's gospel. And so today, as we come to chapter 8, Jesus accelerates the understanding of those listening of who he is in a couple key and important ways. He he claims that he is God yet again. He claims that Abraham longed for this day when Jesus would be exalted. And he claims that physical descendants of Abraham, Jewish people apart from Jesus are without God's salvation. He claims that only in him is their salvation. He says, you need me. And so this story today ends with people holding up stones, ready to cast them at Jesus's head and shoulders and torso and kill him. So I've entitled this sermon in a very creative way, Sticks and Stones May Break My Bones. But we're not going to get to the words part today because literally this is about the threat of death. Jesus, more clearly than he has yet, makes it very apparent who he is, what he's come to do, what he's claiming about himself, and that claim has the listeners of his teaching ready to kill him. So we often wrestle with this question, why did Jesus die? There's lots of answers to that question. Theologically, he died to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. He died to fulfill all the promises that God had made to his people. But practically, tangibly, In an earthly way, Jesus is ultimately going to die because he told the truth in its fullness of who he was and what he came to do and how much the world needed his salvation. And this passage goes right at the heart of it. So, if you're going to give me 30 seconds of attention today, here it is. In the passage that Dustin just read from us, from John chapter 8, Jesus is claiming that God's provision, God's presence, God's protection, and God's salvation come from him. Jesus is claiming that God's presence, God's protection, 
God's provisions, God's guidance, and God's deliverance come from him. Because he is God. God's presence, God's protection, God's guidance, God's provision, and God's deliverance come from Jesus because Jesus is God. Now, I want to show you that that's what the scriptures are saying, and I want to explain a little bit about what that all means, but that is the point in this passage. So, for my note-taking friends, the first point this morning is light of the world, light of the world. And so, um, if you mark things in your Bible, uh, a really important verse for you to mark would be verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said this because at a time where he was at the feast of the booths or the feast of the tabernacles, or um, it was one of the annual feasts where the Jewish people came together. This particular feast of the booths was the one that happened uh, some five to six months before the feast of the Passover where Jesus ultimately would die. So this was his last public appearance in Jerusalem before he would be arrested, betrayed, betrayed, arrested, killed, and then rise again. Now at this feast, people were remembering and celebrating God's salvation and God's provision when the people of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. So you know the story of the Exodus. That's in the book of Exodus, where God delivered his people from Egypt, parted the Red Sea, had them go through it, filled the sea back up, destroyed Pharaoh's army, and then nurtured them in the wilderness for 40 years until they came into the promised land. You can go read about that in the the book of Exodus. But the people of Israel were gathering to remember God's provision for them during that period. And one particular part of that gathering was every evening they would have a ceremony of lighting lamps. And lighting of the lamps symbolized the presence and protection and guidance of God during those 40 years of desert wandering. Because you can look particularly at Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 14, and during the day, God appeared to the people of Israel in a pillar of cloud. And so following God simply meant follow the cloud and do what God tells Moses to tell you. But then at night, you can't see the cloud, so the pillar of cloud would become a pillar of fire. And to follow the Lord was to follow the pillar and do what God told Moses to tell you to do. And so every night at this festival, the Jewish people would light lamps to remember the pillar of fire, to remember God's provision, God's protection, God's presence, God's guidance, and God's salvation in the Exodus story. 
And yet again, when then, verse 12, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. This was not a clever saying on social media to get you to go, hmm, I wonder what he meant by that. Rather, they were at the celebration where they lit lamps to celebrate the guidance, provision, protection, and deliverance of the one true God. And Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of of the world. Do you see what's going on there? Jesus is saying, I am the presence, the protection, the guidance, and the deliverance that God gave you in the wilderness and that you are waiting to come again in a Messiah. I am the light of the world. And it wasn't this pithy, clever statement that made us go, "Mm, I wonder what Jesus meant. Everyone knew it. He's saying, I am God. I'm the provider. I'm the protector. I'm the one who cares for you. I'm the one who delivers you. I am your pillar of fire by night and your pillar of cloud by day. This is what Jesus was promising. And just to make it clear, he goes on and he says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying that the presence, the protection, the guidance, and the deliverance that only God can bring that you trust in, I am He. I am what you are celebrating. I am what you are longing for. So therefore, verse 24, I wish I had time to go through every single phrase, but verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is clearly saying that unless you believe that I am God's provision, God's presence, God's protection, God's guidance, God's deliverance, and the one who is to come, you will not be delivered. Jesus is claiming, I am the light of the world. So, we respond or we're invited to respond to Jesus, the light of the world, in the same way that Israel responded to Yahweh, the pillar of fire by night. We're invited to recognize that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to dwell among us and be the presence of God for us. We're invited to recognize that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to to protect his people and protect his promises and keep his word and keep his people. We're invited to recognize that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to show us God's glory and guide us in God's good ways and that our good comes from following Jesus. 
we're invited to recognize that God's deliverance comes through God's Son whom he sent into the world to pay the penalty for sin, to deliver us from the weight and the cost of sin so that we could have everlasting life. This is why Jesus says in verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, Son of Man what Jesus called himself, when you've lifted him up, meaning crucified him, you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. Jesus is saying, I am your, I've been sent from God to be God's presence, protection, guidance, and deliverance for you. How do we respond? How do we respond to this claim? Verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And to believe in him is to say, I know I need the presence of God, and Jesus brings the presence of God. I know I need the protection of God, and Jesus brings the protection of God. Of God. I know that I need the guidance of God, and Jesus brings God's guidance. I know that I need the deliverance of God, and Jesus is the deliverer. So, really, the question before us today is the question before those whom Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem Do you recognize? that you need God's work and God's blessing in your life? And if you do, are you waiting on one who will bring it to you? Are you believing that he has already come, he has already lived, he has already died, he has already risen again, his name is Jesus, and if we entrust ourselves to him, he will be God's presence with us. He will protect his people, he will guide us, and he will bring our salvation to its conclusion in eternity because he is God's deliverer. I think deep in our souls when we look at our brokenness, when we look at our rebellion, when we look at our anxiety, when we look at our fear, when we wonder if our lives are ever going to live up to all the expectations that we have for it. By the way, the answer is no. But when we can't sleep at night, we know that we need help from outside. Many of us were here all weekend at a marriage conference, and what we learned is that marriage is the place where we see our need and our sin and our brokenness and how hurtful we can be. And when we are honest about our interpersonal relationships, we know that we need a helper from outside. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, is he is saying that I am here 
to be the presence, protection, guidance, and deliverance of God. So before us today, how will we respond to him? I don't want to end there. Actually, I kind of do, but I'm not going to. We're going to go forward through the last half of the chapter. But I want you to notice something that actually perplexes our our modern evangelical minds a little bit. Verse 31, so the second point for my note-taking friends is, is follow me with a question mark. Verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. And so our modern evangelical minds, we kind of shift to this like hallelujah moment. Like Jesus preached the gospel of himself and people got saved and there was a revival and this was awesome. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, right? By the way, I would love for you today to see your need for Jesus and confess your need for him and be delivered, and we would praise the Lord and say hallelujah. But we're told then in verse 31 something that challenges our paradigm. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they engage in this dialogue whereby those whom were told followed him We're ready, verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. They were ready to kill him. So Jesus looked at those who liked what he said and thought the light metaphor was pretty cool, and he looked at them and he challenged them and said, I'm going to give you the totality of who I am. I'm going to give you the full truckload because unless you get me and my divine nature and my saving power and all of who I am, you will miss out. It doesn't matter whether you followed me around Jerusalem or not. Jesus was ready to challenge those who were playing along in his club to make sure that they knew him and they knew the Father through him and they truly received his salvation. And so Jesus, at risk to his popularity and at risk to his safety and at risk to building up his fan club and his Twitter followers and his Facebook group, he laid out the totality of who he was no matter the cost because it would have been unloving for him to allow them to settle for less than all of who he was. So this isn't about theological rigor. This is not about getting all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. It's about seeing Jesus as he really is and being delivered by the Son of God who is God and who is man and who alone can rescue your soul. So often when we talk about, well, Jesus didn't give them the totality of who he was earlier because they might have tried to make him king. We talk about it like like his agenda would have gotten messed up. But see, Jesus' agenda was never going to be messed up because God was in charge of it. 
But Jesus knew that if he let these people settle for less than the totality of the truth, they would not have what they need because only he, in his divine nature, nailed to a cross and risen on the third day, can do anything for your soul. Otherwise, you're just left in your sin. So we're told that to those who believed, Jesus looked at them and said, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Implied, if you don't abide in my word, you're not truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Implied, you, apart from me, you don't know the truth, and apart from me, you're in bondage. You see that? And so what unfolds from verse 33 all the way down through verse 58 is an interaction between Jesus and these people around him showing them that indeed, although they were children of Abraham, that is, they were physically Jewish, they were still sinners, they were still in the bondage of sin, and they still needed to know the truth and be freed from their sin. There's so much deep, rich stuff running through these verses that you get to talk about in your community group this week. If you want to find a group, I will help you. But what Jesus says, verse 32 and following, is everyone, everyone, even the children of Abraham, need to be freed from the bondage of sin. They say, why do we need to be freed? We're children of Abraham. Jesus says, verse 47, the reason why you do not hear and believe my words is because you are not of God. But we were born of Abraham. Whoever is of God hears the words of God through me. So this interplay goes on. But Abraham is our father. Verse 39, Jesus says, if you were truly the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. We're not born immorally. We're the children of God. If God were your father, you would receive my word. But you don't because God's not your father. They answered him, verse 48, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now we know you have a demon, they say. So you see verse 52, they didn't get it. We know you have a demon because Abraham died and the prophets died and you're going to die. Jesus answered. Actually, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. That's verse 56. Verse 57, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? 
Verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. There's a religious argument being hashed out before our very eyes. Is our hope of deliverance and our hope of salvation and our hope of eternal life resting in being children of Abraham, physically speaking? Does it rest in our lineage? Does it rest in our cultural identity? Does it rest in our bloodlines? Jesus says, absolutely not. Jesus says the whole purpose of Abraham's life and ministry was to point to me. The whole purpose of the work that Abraham did, you can read about it in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, and following. The whole purpose of the whole thing was for God to build a people who would be justified by trusting, justified meaning saved, delivered, made new, rescued, by trusting in God's Savior, God's Messiah, the one who was to come. We're told in Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15, that Abraham believed the promise and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Jesus says, Abraham saw me. He saw me. Abraham was counted righteous because he trusted that I would come and I would deliver my, the people of God. So the religious arguments playing out like this. Is it more important to be a physical child of Abraham or to be a spiritual child of Abraham who looks to the Messiah and calls out to him and believes on him. Jesus says, Abraham worshiped me because before Abraham ever existed, I am. Jesus took up the name of God and he said, before Abraham ever was, I'm God. Before Abraham ever was, I'm your savior, your protector, your guide, your comforter, the presence of God with you. Before Abraham ever was, I am. Am. The reason they were ready to stone Jesus, I know that was a lot, but the reason they were ready to stone Jesus was because he said, apart from me, even though you're a child of Abraham, you're in your sin. Even though you're a child of Abraham, you will face death. But in me and in me alone comes the deliverance that Abraham promised, that Abraham was promised, and that Abraham modeled, and that the people of Israel were built upon. Israel needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus because Jesus is God with us, and Jesus is God's deliverer, God's presence, God's protection, God's guidance, and God's deliverance for us. So here is what Jesus says to us. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That doesn't mean we have to earn our salvation. That doesn't mean that we have to keep ourselves saved. But it means this. Those who belong to Jesus will hear and receive and believe the word of Jesus every single day for the rest of eternity. He is our only hope. He is our pre the presence of God with us. He is our guide and our protector today and tomorrow and for all of eternity. And so Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so here's what I want to compel you with today. 
Will you make it your goal to know Jesus through his word and to abide in his word? Abide means to stay. Abide means to believe. Abide means to continue. Abide means to trust. Abide means to follow. Abide means to cling to like it's your only hope. And here in the the south, in the suburbs, in the, the buckle of the Bible belt of evangelical Christianity, we think that what God wants for us is to go to the right church and to have the right bumper stickers and to have the right animal placarded on the back of our car. And if it's eating another animal, that's even better. And we think that Jesus needs us to make him the slogan of our baseball teams and make him the slogan of our athletic events and that Jesus needs us to to start every interview after an NCAA tournament game saying, all praise and glory be to God because I made the three-pointer that beat Tennessee. But he didn't come for any of that. He came that we would hear his word, we would abide in him, and we would be transformed, and we would bear much fruit for his glory. And when that puts us in a good church, praise be his name. And when that puts the right bumper stickers on our car, if you do bumper stickers, we got some out there to give away. They have a cross, and they say Redeemer, and they're blue. If that happens, praise be his name. But he didn't come for all that surface level mess. He came to save a people who know that their only hope is him and that we would abide in him. Think about it like this. Have you ever signed a contract? Employment contract? Bought a house? Negotiated something? Is the the purpose of the contract that you walk around and go, this paper is awesome. These words, this ink is my hope. Is that the purpose of a contract? No, the purpose of a contract is to say, the people who signed this have promised to keep these words to one another, and I'm trusting the word of the people and the system of the government to enforce the idea of the contract, right? So we're not worshiping the paper and the ink. We're trusting the people and the promises, right? Now let's not be silly and call Jesus a contract or a contractor, but let's understand that the purpose of if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. What he's saying is, is if you know me and you know my divine nature and my ability to keep every single word that I've ever promised, then you are truly my disciples and I will set you free and you will bear much fruit. That is the hope and the promise for us.